Hello, and welcome to the last of our GCSE Poetry English Network podcasts. We didn't think we'd get here. But somehow we did in the end, even though, let's just be honest, uh, M is actually feeling a little bit under the weather, so thank you for joining us today. I know, I could have missed the last one, could I? Not at all. She's positively wrapped up (laughs) in tissue. (laughs) Which is a very nice uh, reference to the fact that today we are looking at the poem Tissue. And as we know, we have M here, there's myself, Ted, and... I'm here. Fantastic. Right. So we're looking at uh, uh, Darker's poem, uh, Tissue. Uh, and I think we're handing it over to you, Al, our very capable history man on the spot. What did he offer us? Okay, so I'm uh, going to start by talking about Imtiaz Darker, um, just her background. Now, as always, you don't want to go into too much detail on like the biography of the poet. It's not necessarily that important. However, I think her background does influence a lot of the ideas which she tries to express in her poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was born in Pakistan in Lahore, but she was raised in Glasgow. Um, and I've heard her speak on videos where she's kind of explaining some of the poetry, like her poetry, that she she considers herself um, born um, Pakistani, Scottish, married Welsh, lives in England, and yeah. it's very very much kind of celebrates the multicultural um, aspect of her life, and that multicultural background definitely influences her poetry. She's got a nice Desert Island disc, which explores really? that. Have you ever listened to it? No, we should have it oh, in yeah. preparation. I'm glad you're here because you could. You could I actually uh, I actually listened to it in preparation. <laughs> Okay, good. Tissue is taken from the collection called Terrorist at My Table. Um, and it can be seen as part of, the, of an exploration as to what uh, makes people resort to fundamentalism. Um, so the, the other poems in this collection kind of challenge preconceptions around language. Um, famous ones are The Right Word, where they, talk, they look at the difference between like mm-hmm. terrorist and freedom fighter, and yeah. hostile militant, and then maybe like a child. And, it yeah. kind of, and again, it, 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 it looks at the kind of uh, the assumptions or the power of certain words. And when we, yeah. attach, narratives that, they build, yeah. Yeah, we attach that to individuals, maybe it, it kind of blinds us to um, the whole story. Um, and she's spoken about how she wants to remove any didactic tone. So if you, if you cast your mind back to our first episode, uh, we talked about how Shelley had the same with Ozymandias. He had a kind of a political message, but he wasn't trying to, it what he at least he said, uh, that he wasn't trying to kind of like uh, preach or yeah. tell us exactly what to think. Uh, and Darko kind of echoes that sentiment. Um, but there does seem to be like a, a prevailing narrative regarding um, the spiritual, the subjective, um, this inclusive and postmodern influence. Um, and when I, what I mean when I say that is that everything in, in, from when you look at her poems that we were talking about, this idea of what's the difference between a terrorist or a freedom fighter, um, it seems that to darker that everything seems open to interpretation. And that's really important to remember. There's nothing concrete in language, definition, yeah. idea or action. Um, and that really fits with the, the really ambiguous nature of tissue itself. Um, each stanza can be can be read in like countless ways. There's lots of different ways to approach this poem. Um, it's, it's got that episodic feel, doesn't it? It's kind of each stanza you know, focusing on a different element. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but kind of interestingly, for me anyway, um, the poem looks at the temporal nature of life, how human structures are just that. They're structures, they have no objective value or yeah. strength. And it really does, again, casting our minds back to, to our first three episodes of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of like a modern take, I would say, on romanticism. It's kind of bringing romanticism into the 20th, uh, 21st century. Um, she seems to rail against this kind of like the hubris of mankind, to corrupt, um, not corruption, uh, she seems to rail against the hubris of mankind's creations, um, whether that be 
state nation states buildings religion. Um, yeah even kind of personal yeah. belongings yeah. So how how religion is kind of corrupted and corrupted by mankind uh and uh, consumerism as well um and all of these things are kind of implicitly very subtly uh dealt, very with, subtly. dealt with in this poem and we we said and we've kind of like hinted towards it um leading up to this is this is the one that everyone kind of dreads or is feels the least secure on um and there's a reason for that it is exceptionally ambi- ambiguous um but obviously we'll endeavor to make it less so yeah we'll do our this best episode. Mm. I, I, th- I think this poem is interesting in that you can kind of um like you talk about this idea of postmodernism, so the idea that you know, there is no kind of objective truth. There's only viewpoints that we consider to, to hold some weight or truth. So, you know, if you're Christian, you happen to think that's the right way to look at the world, whereas a postmodernist would say, well, that's because you're from that background and that part of the world. Yeah. And that does tie into a certain extent with our interpretation of Storm the Island, where we talked about the power of ideas and how kind of it's not so much there's a right or wrong, but we're kind of caught between these massive ideas and the kind of the rush towards war. And yeah. I think this poem is similar to the other modern poems and that this idea that people being to an extent i mean maybe i don't know that docker's saying this i think she sees people as having some power and the ability to reverse this trend but certainly the idea of people being at the um vulnerable to the to the will of things far beyond their control and kind of being part of a far larger processes and being um, small cogs in a machine it's ironic really isn't it she writes a poem about the danger of attaching significance to something mm. and yet here we are and here most people are trying to attach significance to words she said yeah. I think she makes sort of a link between herself and an architect later in the poem which we'll come on to explore talking about the layers of meaning the layers of buildings and that that irony that here we are trying to discuss what she means when potentially the warning is about trying not to label things trying not to add significance to things which are just meant to be well um i think i actually think there's something to say on that in the first line so let's uh, without much further ado to quote my dear friend bill shakespeare let's uh, <laughs> dive into it so the first stanza um it's all about light now we've seen this motif of light in, in numerous poems in the anthology most recently in checking out my history um so the, the line reads paper that lets the light shine through this is what could alter things, paper thinned by age or touching. Now, light is always going to be synonymous with truth, synonymous yeah. with a kind of consciousness. Um, this kind of like, uh, it's that like archetypal image of coming out of the light into um, kind of reality or the world or enlightenment. Yeah. Um, so it's always going to have, it's always a positive image. And it also has religious connotations um, representing God. God has the power to change, power to improve, um, or God was the one who made things as they as they should be and it's almost like humans are the ones who are uh, um, going to, to corrupt that or, or change it um, and, and the way paper is described in this stanza is um, she's almost calling for paper that, that lets that light, that truth, that yeah. goodness shine through which obviously automatically implies that at the minute um, in this this scenario that she's living in that she's describing uh, that's, that is not happening yeah. um, so, it's, so papers represent uh, a barrier probably man-made, something that's imposed, which um, can stifle, suppress or corrupt goodness, truth, religion. Um, and that's kind of like, that sets the tone for this poem, that anything that anything that's, um, that again, referring back to things that are man-made, those kind of things are always going to be um, like obstacles to, to truth or yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. That conditional could that she uses, she uses a lot of conditional language in the poem. So could or if almost with that sort of undertone of blame there. Sort of, yeah. if we weren't so arrogant to let paper rule our lives, <clears throat> things could 
be altered if we were yeah. not so arrogant to place importance on buildings and, things and, could let the life and there's, there's you know there's a degree of optimism here as well and in the, in the idea that paper thin by age of touching and I think for me perhaps you know here Docker suggesting that if we if we give these things time their influence will fade away if we if we continue to persevere and ask questions and explore and hold these these institutions up, up to questioning or, or touching yeah. then eventually they will let the light shine through and whether or not that's religion or money whatever it is given time given our continued uh, perseverance and search for truth we can let the light shine through so stanza two moves on to the history so she talks here about how paper has a sort of significant use in terms of bookkeeping record keeping birth certificates death certificates um, and so on and she mentions the religious text the correct so i mean yeah and i think in the stanza we see a few phrases which kind of you know I think what Darker does quite well is she kind of plays her hand quite subtly. She never really comes up too clearly with what she means. So, for instance, there's the almost... I don't want to say sarcastic, but there's, a, there's an acerbic note to this line in well-used books, the back of the Quran. So we look at this kind of... It's quite a charged sentence, well-used books. So we can look at something like the, you know, the Bible or the Quran and look at the enormous influence they've wielded over over our lives, the way they've shaped the modern world. But rather than like kind of directly refer to this... She simply kind of understates it and says, you know, well used. And this idea that you know, we're all aware of the influence these books have, yeah. but there's that reductive element by just referring to them to books as well. Just so that, as a book. Yeah. yeah so she doesn't, she refuses yeah. to kind of see it as having any kind of inherent worth or meaning. It is at the end of the day just a collection of paper, just a book, and that's quite an importantly chosen um, noun. Um, we also have the idea of the back of the crown as well. Obviously, the crown's read from kind of uh, from the back to front in terms of this, uh, it goes from kind of longer stories to shortest or vice versa. Um, and then where a hand has written names and histories, who was born to whom. It's this idea of a collection of all these different sorts, sorts of books and this idea that you know, our, our lives, our stories for most of, you know, for most of human history, you know, information about life and death has been recorded in books. Absolutely. Has merely yeah. been something that's kind of been reduced to written names and histories and who was born to whom and this yeah. this kind of obsessive note taking I think speaks of some kind of need for us to be remembered and for record keepers to kind of prove that we existed. Absolutely. Yeah. But actually what I mean you I mean if I go back I can find out that my you know, great grandfather was uh, in, in the police in Ireland I can find out that yeah my great 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 grandmother you know went to America because of the famine but there's this need for us to record our existence in paper but ultimately it's um but it's I, transit. I don't think she sees that as a negative thing in this stanza because she's actually um if we look at just bear in mind what we said before that this is from a collection called the terrorist at my table it's about yeah. Islamic fundamentalism and, and how that might how such um kind of what would you say the the kind of horrific acts which are, which are committed in the name of religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that all starts with something very innocent and very pure, and that's yeah. when someone's born, their name is written into, mm-hmm. into a holy book. Um, and it's, that it's, it's almost kind of calling for a return to that grounding. Um, when, you're first, when, when someone is born to somebody else, that name is recorded, and it's something that's shared. The Quran, is, in this case, is, mm-hmm. is, a, ah. is a shared piece of culture. Um, and, yet, and yet there's still uh, this potential for that to be, be warped by mankind, be warped by these ideas of fundamentalism, um, the violence which is committed in the, in that, in the name of that ideology. Uh, so I think you could read this as Darker saying you need to, that 
things like religious texts and religious dogma, religious ideas, yeah. they can be a force for good um, and they can be a force for kind of community, like I said, the community mm-hmm. um, and like the, the true meaning of, of what it is to be human. Um, but if we allow, if we as humans, if we allow ourselves to to corrupt that, that original influence, then they can be equally, it can equally be very destructive. It's quite interesting the way she uses paper or tissue as that metaphor for that sort of manipulation that can go on. You know, you can move paper, you can reshape it, it can be toyed with, it can be ripped and so on. And it's a thin line between good and evil, I guess. Yeah, and the idea that... I've never really seen it as a criticism of religion before in that sense, but definitely a criticism of the importance we put on something written and something so flimsy, so temporary that paper can be. It makes me draw quite an obvious link there with Ozymandias, the idea that he tried to preserve his power for future generations through stone. And I think there could be quite a nice point to be made there that the whole irony is that paper seems to be much a much more permanent way of recording something that we'll yeah. live on. Um, and that idea that, I suppose, my last touch is, you know, putting something in art can then be misinterpreted later on. And I suppose she's drawing that link, isn't she, with paper? And the yeah. fragility of it all, the fragility of religion, potentially, to yeah. be mistreated or misused. I, th- I think, I think that, you know, this whole stands up. I mean, I do find this poem, in honesty, a difficult one to interpret. And in I'm, one, not entirely certain of what Darker's meaning is. And two, I, I, I find the language is sometimes ambiguous to the point of maybe unintentionally so. So when we look at the third stanza, there's the line, um, so just towards the end of it, it says, pages smoothed and stroked and turned, transparent with attention. So to my mind, I often think this line is, okay, so it's this idea that yeah, the page is so well-worn, you can almost yeah. see through it. But that's a really interesting phrase, transparent with attention. So is it that we, kind of the more we study these texts, the more we look at them, the kind of the more we can see see the world as it truly is. But then, or is there almost almost a kind of, an ironic note there that actually the, the more someone studies the Bible, the more yeah. kind of scholars explore these issues, the less certain we are of things and the more different interpretations there are. I know that later you're going to talk about the importance of layers, that actually sometimes we get the opposite. The more we kind of give something our attention, the less transparent it is and the more opaque things seem yeah. to be. Um, and I think that's, that's a quotation that we can definitely, you can definitely zoom in and explore and the idea of the way we treat with great reverence books with kind of the verbs smooth, stroked and turned. Um, but I, in honesty, I'm not entirely certain what she what she does mean there. So I think that's you could you could uh, make a point about like, that you, you reference religion, but that's kind of like a human condition itself. Yeah. It's this yeah. kind of relentless search for knowledge. And again, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of this romantic. Um, it's kind of like a I don't know, like a, 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 a new not not even a critique. It's like a, a new iteration of romanticism from 19th century to 21st century. Yeah. Um, and it, but again, it's this idea of like mankind being overbearing in its uh, approach to nature or its approach to knowledge or its approach to religion or even kind of like the, it, our own kind of condition, our own psychology. Um, it's something that we, we can't keep, we can't stop scratching away at, scratching away at, scratching yeah. away at. And we remove mist. And when we do that, and again, we're thinking about from this, from a kind of modern spiritual pro, um, or postmodern, um, we're, we're scratching away the kind of, the, the mystery which surrounds human, well, what it is to be human and possibly some of the um, some of the magic around it. And it, I think it's just also interesting that that stanza ends with a full stop as well. So this idea that, you know, that challenges the notion, is this leading anywhere? So with these, you know, so, I mean, you, the second and third stanza are very much interlinked. So it's the height and weight, who died where and how, and which sepia date, pages smoothed and stroked and turned, transparent with attention. And you've got then that kind of full stop almost where you don't expect it to be in this poem. And this idea is, is this kind of study of the history through paper, is a study of religious texts and these kind of 
um, these yeah, I want to say institutions of the past, is studying them actually going to lead us anywhere or is yeah. much like this full stop it almost coming to a dead end? Um, and again, I must admit, I don't have a clue really on that one, but I mean, that's the nature of poetry. It's like wandering through someone else's dream. You know, you have to come up with your own interpretations. Absolutely. And I think you talk about the full stop and you always say to students when they look at Sejura or where the punctuation falls, to always look at the words after. So the word she's here trying to draw attention to is again that use of the conditional if. If buildings were paper, I might feel their drift. And I think it links back to what we were saying before about the impermanence of structures. And sadly, we put so much materialistic value into the things we build. We see buildings, whether it's holy buildings or our homes or our workplaces, as such significant places that we put money into, that we see as being a part of our formative identity. Yet, due to natural disaster or... Um, you know, seeing terror attacks is obviously an allusion here to the fact that buildings can fall and, mm. and indeed will fall. And whether it's nature teaching the lesson or something else, that idea that it's that hubris of mankind to think that something that we build, which isn't meant to last, will outlive us. And I, I think it's interesting to stand as well that she chooses to use quite undramatic language to refold to kind of the collapse of these these quite and quite solid um, yeah, buildings. So we have the kind of the verb, well, not the verb, yeah, the verb drift and the kind of this idea of it falling away. So if we look at drift, things we associate in drifting are things that are kind of not of great import, things yeah. that kind of um, aren't particularly like anchored in any kind of real meaning or importance. Mm-hmm. And I think here you could look at the way, the value we attach to certain buildings. And yet, you know, a few decades later, a few centuries later, yeah, even if they've not... Um, collapse they kind of drift out of our consciousness they drift out of our importance and that buildings much like paper are kind of we attach this weight to them yeah. and we think they hold truth and meaning but ultimately um perhaps they don't they, they do drift away not dramatically in a collapse but just, just gently and over time she makes a like comment doesn't she almost like we won't learn from our mistakes mm. it's emphasized there by that sort of subtle rhyme between drift and shift there that mm. idea that things keep repeating themselves but mm. You know, just like that rhyme in, in the in the stanza, we don't notice it, we don't learn from the mistakes, mm. we continue to build another building in its place and expect that one to last forever instead. Yeah. And, and again, it's interesting, she chooses the idea of like, if we could see this, if we could see how easily, it's the idea of kind of the importance of sight kind of being kind of something, you giving you a, an epiphany, kind of allowing you to see something for the first time. But of course, buildings aren't paper, so we don't see how they're drifting and we don't see how, see how easily they fall away. We're denied that, that epiphany. Yeah, and I think the final thing to say about that as well is just that use of sibilance and the, the sigh and shift of the, in the direction of the wind. Um, it it just kind of like reinforces what you're saying about how easily things fall away because mm-hmm. you that image of something just something that was once whole just kind of like being blown away in like a, yeah. a cloud of, of dust essentially. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, it's, and it, it's that link to Ozymandias. It's the it's the crumbling of a great empire. Yeah. It's the crumbling yeah. of a great structure, and nothing besides remains. Um, and it's that that teaching of a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We then have um, another quite important use of, of punctuation here. So she says on the next stanza, maps to, then with a full stop. And I feel like she uses the punctuation here to sort of mimic what she thinks paper does. So she talks almost about the divisive nature of someone drawing a border, an arbitrary border, that being on a yeah. map that separates one country from another, one person from another, one road from another. Um, and I think she uses the punctuation almost there to, to put that on a, unexpected interruption into the flow of things. Yeah. And I think we've got that real uh, sort of 
parallel drawn in this stanza between what is natural and what flows, so rivers and mountain folds, and then what is kind of divisive and man-made and getting in the way. Yeah. Roads, rail traps, and I think she's criticising maps here. I, I, I do, I must admit, I find this, in my mind, I think of this as kind of like a, a cliché geography teacher who just kind of was like, maps too. <laughs> They're irrelevant. They're just man-made. It's, she's almost like pausing from a dramatic pause. It's yeah. like, do you know what's man-made? Maps. <laughs> but it, and it's very difficult to to take her at a word when she says that she doesn't have any kind of political message or didactic <laughs> message here because it's kind of this open borders idea. Um, and if, if we just the look at that line, the, the, through the, sun, she, the sun shines through, um, and the sun we already know is this image of light and goodness yeah. and uh, and God, God Himself. Or nature, um, if you want the romantic reading of it. Well, yeah, but and that, so not only does that does that literally mean that just as the sun shines on Scotland, so does it so does it shine on England, and so does it yeah. shine on every other the whole world you know we all share the same sun etc um but you could talk about that wisdom and that knowledge shining through as yeah. well it's a criticism of nationalism a criticism of, of um of the racism that, yeah. that, that kind of like comes along with that um and the idea that because as borders are not really natural phenomena they are man-made um and why should so much like bloodshed occur yeah. For the sake of an arbitrary line on a map drawn by, like we said, I mean, it's similar to the ones who actually no, it's not. I'm not going to say that. So yeah, so I think it's almost like this is Zora's for darker. It's supposed to be kind of like a a, a mic drop before she hits us with this kind of insight and this knowledge. Don't write uh, that down, but yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. you shouldn't write that down, but I th- I do think she sees this as kind of like a dramatic pause before she hits us with this knowledge and this go, yeah. criticism of borders and and, and nation states. So in the sixth stanza, um, Darker goes on and she kind of draws her, her withering focus onto the financial <laughs> and the, the fiscal world. Uh, and the main line that kind of stands out here is this simile that she uses in the last line of the stanza. Um, so talking about you know, these things that have been sold and what was paid by credit card might fly our lives like paper kites. And she has a kind of the valid criticism here that our lives are dictated by kind of financial concerns. But it's very interesting, I think, that she kind of puts forward the idea of credit cards. And then modern generations, not only do we still rely on money for a sense of worth and, and importance, but credit cards are the greatest symbol of uh, the age of debt. And that actually people don't have any money anymore. Yeah. We actually, that people live in loans, they live in mortgages, they live in overdrafts. And that not only do people live their lives in money, but they live their lives in borrowed money that they don't even yeah. have. And this kind of, the, the debt that people have... Where whether or not it's student loans or whether or not it's kind of um, you know, mortgages from the bank or whatever it might be, these things control our lives. And she draws this image, you know, we can tend a vehicle ground this, you know, comparing it to paper kites, this idea that we are, we're being pulled in different directions. We are yeah. you know, a hostage to the wind or we're a hostage to that fortune. We have no control over where our lives but also that we're almost like someone's plaything, that a child is kind yeah. of pulling us whimsically in this direction and that, in the same way that, you know, if you're a customer of Northern Rock, and that's a very uh, outdated reference <laughs> for any, for any uh, survivors of the financial crash of 08 listening, um, but that you kind of, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're kind of exigent to these these things that are kind of beyond even, your control. If you go even further than that, it's this idea that money itself is, is only is only it's a, a human invention. Yeah. It's something mm-hmm. that only will only work and only exist because everybody agrees that it exists. Like the fact that on a, like a five pound note it says I, I owe the bearer yeah. on, on yeah. demand yeah. five pounds. So, so it's kind of like um, this idea that money itself is a human construct. It's not something that's, that actually has any objective concrete yeah. value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's only as valuable as everybody agrees that it is. So we all have this kind of um, this number which we carry around with us and that's our kind of like our bank balance or yeah. our debt um, or our net worth 
But all of those things only have value because everybody agrees that they have value. Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of like how, that's the, the bedrock of capitalism, it's the bedrock mm-hmm. of trade, it's kind of like the, a, a vital um, kind of foundation to the modern world and it's, it, it exists but there's also kind of like there seems to be a cruel arbitrary nature there where um you know your own your your whole life is controlled by um a set of, of numbers on yeah. it nowadays on the screen yeah. or on, and, on, and that's on just a paper. crazy thing on that note something that blows my mind so i you know kind of you grow up studying kind of the, the weimar republic and this idea of printing money and then you know that again in the 08 financial crash <laughs> so when they uh, brought in quantitative easing which is just inflation they didn't print money they just added zeros to a spreadsheet to increase yeah. the the, yeah. the financial yeah. um, flow and that was just a mind-blowing thing that mm. the, they don't even print money anymore they just add zeros to a spreadsheet and yeah. there's then more money more sterling in the world yeah um, and again it, 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 it seems so uh, Arbitrary. It seems yeah. kind of counterintuitive, and yet it can be so destructive, mm-hmm. both on a personal level and, and. I mean, you just mentioned the Weimar Republic. Yeah. History Man on Spot has jumped in there. <laughs> um, yeah, but on a on a, a whole like a, a statewide, nationwide, or worldwide um, economic scale as well. She uses that reference to credit card as that criticism as well about how it's not even tangible money anymore. We can't even feel it. We can't mm-hmm. smooth or stroke it right. like that paper from the beginning of the poem. Um, you can almost see how something that you could feel or, you know, receipts that you could keep for your sort of mementos or for balance keeping, bookkeeping, that can have some value. It is at yeah. least something, whereas nowadays with everything being yeah. contactless or on credit cards, I think potentially now, even from when this poem was written, that holds more weight for modern readers, mm. that fact that everything is just yeah. at the touch of a book. Uh, and then if we look, just look at that um, comparative vehicle of paper cards, you, t- you touched on it before, but um, the, I think the image there is that it flies your life and it's kind of like your whole life and your whole existence and everything that you worked for and everything that you are and mm-hmm. that name that you once were written on the back of a, uh, a holy text yeah. um, is something that is so quickly taken out of your reach. Um, it's something that's, your connection to it is so tenuous and it's so impersonal um, and it's, it's so distant. And, yeah. it, and it, again, it's that it seems like a kind of tragic waste of your of human potential to uh, that something that we pursue so um, something you pursue so um, doggedly throughout your life, and everybody mm-hmm. does. And it's kind of like a, it's a symbol of status, and it's important yeah. for comfort, and it's important for you know. It's why we got into Yeah, it's why we got into, <laughs> into teaching. It's why we're sitting here podcast. today on a free podcast. Um, it just suggests that it's a tragic waste of time, a waste of human potential. And again, it's that romantic idea. If you if you're chasing the sterile and the, um, the this like post enlightenment ideal of uh, of wealth and um, wealth creation and accumulation and greed, then you're missing out on what it is to be Absolutely. human. And in terms of the meaning of the poem, it is just worth taking stock of what um, Darker's kind of criticised so far. So we've kind of questionably got criticism of religion. We've got uh, arguably criticism of kind of the kind of history and record taking. We've definitely got criticism of maps and nation states. Yeah. We've got a criticism of kind of um, the importance we attach to buildings and the kind of the, the tangible kind of mm. architectural world. And then we've got that kind of financial criticism as well. And this, this is a really anti-establishment poem. This is kind of a, a diatribe against the way things are. Yeah. And, you know, maybe she's not saying things that, you know, it needs to be this way or that way, but she's kind of, you know, railing against these these yeah. institutions which define the modern world mm. it is quite contrived in that in that sense and i won't be i don't, I don't think there's any danger in being critical in your yeah. voice when you yeah. when you when you analyze a poem like this um part of the reason why it's a, it's such a challenging poem to access is because the the target 
seems so the norms so, that we just accept yeah, yeah. It, but, but as a result like the target of her attack seems really seems unclear it's like everyone, what, yeah. we basically yeah. want, it, if we were to follow this to a logical con- conclusion it means tear down society yeah. and let's start again yeah. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't it, like and that's probably why she said she doesn't have a didactic message yeah. she's just saying oh wouldn't it be nice it's like yeah. a thought experiment I we think could yeah this, we also it's, it. it's akin almost to John yeah. Lennon's uh, imagine it's yeah. kind of like well let's take away religion let's take away all these things what but it's difficult for us to almost get in that mindset because these yeah. things seem f- so fundamental to our, yeah. our modern existence. It's more that idea, isn't it? It's so hard to come on to it, that idea. She's giving us the layers for us to build that picture ourselves and sort of pause and take stock. And I think if we link back to that simile, that image of the kite, that I imagine this child flying the kite, thinking they're playing the game, it's all about this idea of who really is in control, isn't it? You know, you think you're going out to fly the kite, but actually it's nature, the wind, that Mm -hmm. flies the kite for you. And I think if we look at where she says with the repetition of layer, she wants to give us layers of, and that's what a poet does, an artist does, they give us layers and we interpret meaning. And I think that, you know, rather than say she's trying to impart a message or sort of a call for change or a call for anarchy, I think actually what she's saying is take stock and realise the things you think you are in control of, like kites, you're mm. actually not in control of. Mm. So if we can take that from the poem, I think that potentially was what Darker wanted. It's difficult to tell, as we keep coming back to. In, in that stanza as well, there's almost this image of, of an, like, you know, kind of when you, uh, for any fans of How I Met Your Mother, when you see Ted Mosby designing his buildings. Again, a very... Uh, so many niche references So many niche tonight. references, but this idea of kind of like when you're looking at building, you look at the various things, you look at kind of that foundation work, then you come out the gridiron yeah. and all these different things. But I think she's almost, I think there's almost the idea here that like an architect, she's given us these layers, but she's told us how the world works here. She yeah. sees herself as this unveiler of the veil of ignorance, she's shown us, well, actually, the world is just made up of money. It's made up of books. It's made up of religion. It's made up of maps. She's telling she, us the light. She feels like, like she's almost holding x-ray up. Uh, if you imagine the world as a building, she's hold, held up this x-ray, and we can finally see the world now for what it truly is. She showed us the, how the, you know, in the great political uh, idiom, how the sausage is made. Mm, that is an exceptionally generous reading of this poem. I, mean, <laughs> I certainly don't come away from it thinking I have a... Uh, a better understanding of the world. Well, nor I, but I think she might be <laughs> making uh, claims in that ground. Yeah, possibly. Um, right, so moving on to stanza seven, um, and this one kind of all we talked. She's she's already she's kind of um, explains to us how she feels that um, although obviously not didactically, uh, she said that me- money is meaningless, borders and nations are meaningless. Um, she says that structures are impermanent, that our history is irrelevant. And now she starts to move towards possibly a more kind of like, that's all what you shouldn't do, or this is all that is bad. And now we start to look at yeah. things that may be, may be a bit more positive. We see the shift in the language as well. She starts to use more imperatives here. She turns um, her attention to the brave new world. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's much more around meaningful cre- creation. Um, so an architect could use all this, place layer over layer, luminous script over numbers over line, and never wish to build again with brick. Um, and again... If we take that literally, it's completely meaningless. It means that we we never we don't have any buildings. Um, yeah. But in this, it's an analogy where the architect can be seen as the poet, the individual reader, or society itself. Um, so rather than focusing on the building of great structures that represent the, the success of the individual, yeah. the power of a certain nation, we um, focus you focus on the, the shared history of humanity, what it is to be human, um, and it proposes this idea of a moving away from that consumerism, that anti-capitalist. Um, 
kind of narrative which she's pushed so far away from hubris, away from nationalism, because it only leads to conflict, it only leads to misery. Mm. Interesting enjambment here as well from brick or block. So we've got that consonance there with the the sounds of these words as they come with break at the end. Um, but she's got this image of light still coming back. So that motif of light comes back and it's the daylight that sort of breaks through, she says, through these rigid structures of buildings. Um, and I say she's emphasising that solidity or questioning the solidity of buildings mm. through that consonant she uses there. And then obviously we've got this, the, 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 this idea that the daylight itself, that, that truth, that goodness, it breaks capitals, it breaks yeah. monoliths. Mm-hmm. That um, kind of quite aggressive verb for knocking down this, this, this old world. Yeah, and, it, and it's just such a clear link to, uh, to Ozymandias there, the monolith, the great statue, the great stone statue. Um, if you're gonna, if this comes up, I think I think Ozymandias would be the go-to poem to compare yeah. it to in yeah. terms of the, the way that it talks about um, hubris. Uh, so, in, and again, it's this image of romanticism. You can talk about the romantic influences. It's not a, it's not a romantic poem. It wasn't written by a 19th century poet. However, there are definite romantic influences. So don't be afraid to kind of compare those two to yeah. talk about the, the complex and subtle connections and the, the complex and subtle influences. You know, Imtiaz Darker is a famous poet because Shelley was a famous poet, because Wordsworth was a famous poet. Yeah. The one idea of standing doesn't, one the shoulders of giants. Is yeah, one doesn't cancel out the yeah. other. Absolutely. And I think it, it, there's a line in this stanza which kind of, I think, reveals um, and sheds light, pun intended, on the, the previous stanzas, and that she says, uh, through the shapes that pride can make. Yeah. And I think at that moment we see, all right, so all the previous stanzas are referring to the, the shapes, like a really ambiguous term there, and it's deliberately ambiguous so that it can be seen as a reference to everything she said. So, you know, all these things, all these things kind of which are manifested in paper represent on some level human arrogance, human pride, the mistakes we've made. Yeah. And again, that religious allusion to mm-hmm. the grand design. Um, I don't think... I think it's that's the other. This, the poem, the poem is quite erratic in its message. I feel it's like it, it, it's a bit all over the place in what yeah. it's attacking. Um, but I do think there's still this religious or at least a spiritual undertone. So in in a way, it's postmodern in the way that it wants to tear down the the what would you call like the patriarchal or the oppressive, the tyrannical um, capitalist system yeah. that we live in in the West. Um, but in the same in the same time, it wants to maintain certain um, structures of, to, uh, which of which one is uh, religion yeah. or at least spirituality, yeah. um, because that's something that's kind of like well, I don't know what you say it's essential or it's intrinsic. I suppose it's difficult that we're we're talking a lot about truth, though, aren't we? And we're saying religion is synonymous with truth. So I think almost our whole interpretation of what we are seeing this light imagery is evoking is connected to our sort of cultural understanding of what well, religion can offer. Well, the podcast is apolitical and uh, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't lean one way or the other. Um, I, think, I, think it's, I think the point is that she... If you, if you use light as a motif, it's going to have that religious yeah. connotation. And on this idea of the grand design, I think in my, my interpretation here is that she's saying that in many ways we need to have a, a, a simpler values, simpler lives, simpler societies... Mm-hmm. And then it comes back to this idea of living tissue and kind yeah. of like the human need and human intimacy. And that, you know, that the grand design with living tissue. Society is supposed to be about people, not institutions. Absolutely. And that's what she's um, calling on. Then she goes on to this idea of let's raise a structure never meant to last. So yeah. let's embrace the ephemeral nature of, of life. Let's not build things that represent arrogance and this need yeah. to kind of like 
you know, be preserved in the recording of history. Let's just accept that we are, um, you know, we are tissue. We are kind of here momentarily and we are, you know, um, destined to fade away. And let's embrace that yeah. and find worth yeah. in it. And the, and the paper or the tissue that matters is, is your, your flesh, your <laughs> skin, um, the, the human being, the, the, the human, the individual experience. And, and, and we must care for one another. And that's the, it's that tissue, the kind of human tissue and the kind of human beings who we need to take care of, the verbs smoothed and stroked until they're thin, transparent. It's people we need to be taking care of, not, yeah. not books, not religious texts, not, not money, whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say for that final stanza. Okay. The final line on its own, turned into, turned into your, your skin. skin. I think this is the point where, you know, for anyone who was unsure of what the extended metaphor was, it's clear that the metaphor of tissue becomes related to us as people and the fragility of humanity, the temporary nature of humanity, the transitory nature mm-hmm. of us as a race, potentially the transitory nature of religion and how it's interpreted. Um and I think we've obviously got that direct address at the end. We have almost sort of a cyclical structure. She used, well, sorry. We have um, this idea of returning to, at the very start, she says, the kind you find in well-used books. When she uses you there, that I think it would be wrong to call that direct address. It's sort of quite passive in what she says. She's almost saying, yeah. the kind that people find yeah. in books. One might find. Exactly. In most languages, that would be seen as that one. Yeah. But whereas by the end, it's turned into your skin. And that's why... You know, if you want to question the fact that she thinks this isn't a didactic poem or a teacher, she has a line on its own at the end referring to yeah. mankind, but with that direct address. And I think that's where that extended metaphor becomes apparent at the end. And I think there is something to be said for the fact that um, the way she... I think what happens if you look at each standard as a kind of theme, um, it, there is there is an aspect of um, buildings that you can apply to mm-hmm. the, the experience of a human being. There's an aspect of religion that you can apply to the, hu- the experience of a human being. Um, this idea of money and um, chasing things external to you, that's, that's part of the human experience as well. So the paper represents the human being um, and the way that it kind of uh, permeates through every aspect yeah. of life and society. And there's, there's, there's something there as well. But again, it's exceptionally uh, ambiguous and difficult to kind of uh, to pin down, but that's not always something. That's not always something to shy away yeah, from. No, I think in honesty, you know, if this poem is, I would be very interested if if AQA chose this as the poem they would choose um, for the one you have to look at. Just Although because we're not is, making any predictions. No, uh, not until our paid content later in the year. <laughs> that's a joke. Um, but I think the I, I don't think AQA would use this just because I think there are such a variety of interpretations. But I mean, if you do go for this poem, and this is one you can you choose to compare or compare it to, I yeah. think you're safe in anything you offer because it is so ambiguous. I think that is the beauty of it, really. That I mean, if it were to be on a paper where you were only discussing one poem at a time, it would be extremely complex to talk about this with any real argument or cohesive sort of interpretation of the text. However, it offers, and we've sort of alluded to Ozymandias quite a lot, but there's links to London, there's links mm-hmm. to Malice Duchess, Storm on the Island, even. Yeah. So there is. There are many links to be made through this poem. So I think yeah. for, a, for a savvy candidate who wants to reduce the revision load, I'd go for tissue. Right. 
Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That's it for the uh, our installation of the uh, English Network Poetry Revision Podcast. That is all 15 poems done and dusted. Absolutely. Some with more pleasure and than only, others. It only took us 14 episodes, I feel like. I know. We should, uh, we should I know. congratulate ourselves. We, really we had a really quick start at the, start, at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, slowed down towards the end with tissue, but we got there. Absolutely. So uh, we wish you the best of luck with your revision. And for now, it's goodbye from me, Ted. It's goodbye from me, Ollie. And it's goodbye from me, Alex. Bye, English nerds. Bye. Bye.